reading from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, again, Merry Christmas, and as we begin to think about the birth of Jesus, I want to begin by sharing some statistics with you, which probably for many of you is not what you're thinking about on Christmas Eve. I don't think, hopefully you don't have your Excel spreadsheets fired up, but but here are some interesting statistics. In any given day, 385,000 babies will be born. So if you do the math, that breaks down to every hour, 16,000 babies are born, 267 a minute. Now, this is a little strange. Four and a half babies are born each second. Not sure how exactly that works. And in the time that I took to tell you those statistics, roughly 50 babies have just been born. Now, that statistics might boggle the mind a little bit, but it forces us to ask this question. What is the big deal about one baby who was born 2,000 years ago, halfway across the world? Now, some people might say nothing. The the birth of Jesus Christ really isn't that big of a deal. Some might even say, we're not even so sure he was actually born. Sometimes we celebrate holidays and we just need a convenient excuse to do so. So there's a whole story behind St. Valentine's Day, but for most of us, it's about chocolate. There's a big thing about St. Patrick's Day, but we, you know, it's it's green clothes and corned beef and Cinco de Mayo has a whole thing, but really, I just want to eat tacos. I don't really care about the story. So some would say Christmas is not really truly about the birth of Christ. It's just a convenient excuse to eat cookies and let's face it, get presents. I mean, that's kind of what the central part of Christmas is. But of course, as Christians, we say, no, there's actually a little bit more to it. It is, in fact, about the birth of Jesus. And and so tonight, I want to look at just one verse, 12 words. And, And this verse is not really a traditional Christmas verse. It's from Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. It's from the Apostle Paul. More than likely, he's writing in prison, and and he's actually quoting a Christian hymn. So there's a sense in which we could say, this might actually be one of the first Christmas hymns. 
Now, Paul did not celebrate Christmas like you and I did. It wasn't December 25th, and I don't think he was hanging stockings and doing all of the things that we do, but he writes this, for in him, that is in Christ, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And as I think about that verse, that verse is the reason that that one baby Now, here's a number that may blow your mind. 110 billion people have been born, give or take a few billion, in the course of human history. That's 110 billion babies. And yet, this one baby causes us to celebrate, causes us to put everything on hold for an entire month to get ready for his birthday. And that's what brings us here tonight. We are finally ready to celebrate the birthday of one of those 110 billion babies. So why Jesus? So tonight I want to look at just this question, the fullness of God, that question of fullness dwelt in him. So there's a saying that if uh, when a baby is born, you, you really hope they do three things. So imagine a newborn baby, you hope they eat well, right? You hope they sleep well, okay? And, and yes, you, you hope they poop. That's about it. We have very low expectations of newborn babies. They're wonderful. They're cute. We, we celebrate them, but we don't exactly expect much from them. And yet Paul is saying that at the birth of Jesus, all those years ago in the manger with Mary and Joseph, that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, our family, we have a, a lot of December birthdays. So we've just celebrated both, um, both my mom and, and Susan's mom have a December birthday. So we will say this to our kids, oftentimes around this time of year, we will say something along the lines, without Nana or grandma, you don't exist. And that's true of all of us. Our existence is dependent on the existence of other people. Without our those who've gone before us, there is no us. And yet Jesus, we don't say the same thing. And so what separates that baby from the other 110 billion? Jesus has always existed. His existence is not dependent on the existence of somebody else. We think of what the opening words in Genesis, in the beginning, God speaks and creation comes into existence. We we think of what Paul says earlier in Colossians chapter one, that Jesus holds all things together. Now, here's something, this, this kind of blew my mind. Maybe it'll blow your mind. A newborn baby is wonderful, but if you've ever held one, you know it's a little bit uncomfortable if you're not sure what you're doing because a newborn baby cannot hold their head up. So there's a certain way in which you have to hold a newborn. There was a certain way in which the newborn Jesus had to be held in order to support his head. He did not have the power to hold his head up. And yet Paul says, by his power, all of the universe is held together. You know, we spend a lot of time talking to babies. Parents, you know that. You don't expect them to talk back. So you, you know, you, you wake up in the morning, you look into the nursery. Oh, good morning. How are you? know, the, Your child doesn't say, oh, mom, I slept wonderful. Thank you for asking. Jesus at his birth did not come come into this world speaking. And yet, by the power of his voice, we are told in the beginning, 
God speaks and creation just happens. And John says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was Jesus. Now that blows my mind. Here's another interesting thing. God, Jesus knows all things. We know that. A newborn baby cannot really focus much beyond eight to 12 inches. So their world is about a foot in diameter. There's an interesting study that's saying that some babies may be developmentally delayed just a little bit this year because they're starting to look at the world and all they're seeing is people in masks. They're, they're going to struggle maybe to pick up facial recognition. So how do we understand this idea that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, that, that he has the full power to hold all things together. He speaks creation into existence and yet he can't even hold up his head. He can't talk. He can't really even see beyond a foot in front of him. Well, theologians spend their lives wrestling with this and they write really big books, but I'm going to boil it down. And and the theological term is called kenosis, that Jesus actually humbles himself at his birth. Now, I want to say that again. He humbles himself. So why is Jesus set apart from all other babies? I was born, we'll just say in the 70s. I was born in the Midwest. My parents are here. I chose none of that. There was no forms that I filled out to request when and where and to whom I was born and and the same is for you. Jesus was obedient to his father in his birth. He existed before his birth. He, He existed before Mary was pregnant with him. And so the reminder for us is this. Of all of those babies that are born, Jesus alone chooses his circumstances. He humbles himself. And in that humble circumstances of his birth, we are getting the very first glimpse of what would later take place in the humility of the cross. Jesus chose to be born when and where he did. No other baby can say that. Paul also also says this, that the fullness of God dwells in him. And so this idea of dwelling is the idea of permanence. We might say this, it's the difference between renting a home and owning a home. Renting a home is wonderful, but when you own a home, there's something a little more permanent about that. Now, Paul is not thinking about home ownership. He's not thinking about renting homes. When he speaks about the the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus, he has one image in mind, and that is the temple. This huge, ornate, beautiful, imposing building in the center of Jerusalem that was the center of worship. And the idea was that God dwelled in the temple. And if God dwelled in the temple, it was a holy place that must be kept separate from ordinary people. And so we know that only the high priest could enter that temple in a certain way to worship. And all of the ordinary people, and I'm just going to be honest, we're all ordinary people, would have been kept separate from that. And yet Paul is saying that the worship of God has now been transferred from a physical location to a person, to a baby. 
Now, I have three children, and I remember when they were babies, and, and I'm just going to be honest, they were the cutest babies. I, your babies might have been cute, but ours were more cute than yours. Now, most parents think that way, don't they? And I remember holding that child, and, and you can get lost for hours and hours holding a new baby. You can adore that child. You can wonder at that child. I never worshipped our children. They're great. Never worshipped them. And yet, what we see with Jesus is that because the fullness of God dwells in him, we are to worship him. I want you to think about Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus just like all mothers do. And all of the emotions that come to a new mother came to Mary. The wonder, the joy, maybe a little bit of fear and anxiety, but she had an experience and an emotion that no other mother ever had. And we get a little glimpse of this in Luke chapter one, where Mary begins to sing and she says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Mary had all of the emotions of a new mother, but Mary worshiped her son and called him her savior. Only one, only one out of those 110 billion can claim to be the savior. And there's only one mother who can say, yes, I gave birth to the savior. You know, the temple, the whole idea behind it was there were certain places that you could not go. And there were certain places that you could go, but only under certain circumstances. In other words, God was not approachable. But when we think about the birth of Christ, we are reminded that there is something about babies that's approachable. Now, you can't really do this anymore because of COVID, but if you see a newborn in the grocery store, you sometimes can't help but just take a little peek. Or go up and talk to mom. You know, you can't really do that anymore. But there is a sense in which babies invite you in. Jesus, the one that we worship, draws us to him. And we think about this. The shepherds, the very ordinary shepherds, when they find out that Jesus is born, it says this. The angel says to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And and that phrase unto you, that baby was born unto those shepherds and onto the Magi, and onto the nation of Israel, and onto us. That is, Jesus is a gift for me and for you. And so we could say this, I don't know what kind of Christmas awaits you tomorrow morning. Maybe you'll come out and the trees, will, the presents will be piled high. Maybe you'll get exactly what you want. Maybe you won't. Maybe this has been a hard year. It's been a hard year for many. But here's what I do know. Jesus has been given unto you. So we worship. We approach Jesus. 
But we need to acknowledge something else. Babies make messes. There's the, you know, the obvious messes. But I, I remember, you know, you have your newborn, you feed them, you, you put them on your shoulder, you start to burp them. And then you feel that warm sensation of what you just fed them running down the back of your shirt. And you, you know, start all over. You have to clean everything up. And, and so we have to say, you know, Jesus made messes. He was a baby. But the messes that I'm talking about are, are our messes. Again, we think of what the angel says to Joseph. She, she, Mary, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, those were words we're used to on Christmas. So here's how I want to communicate that. I hope this does not happen, but it might. Some of you may experience this tomorrow morning. Beautiful gift under the tree. You unwrap it. You open the box. You look in the box. And whatever is in there is broken. Happens. Sometimes, you know, Amazon's got a lot of presents to deliver. Or let's face it, sometimes little hands get curious, walk up, pick up a present, and they know they're not supposed to open it. So what do you do? You start shaking it. It's okay to shake a box with a sweater in it. That's, that's okay. Certain boxes you don't want to shake. So it's possible that the present that you receive will be broken upon delivery. Now, you know, you can return it. It'll be okay. Here's what it means that Jesus saves us from our sins. We are broken upon delivery. 110 billion, give or take a few billion, all of them have been broken upon delivery. It's called the doctrine of original sin, that we enter into this world and as cute and wonderful and sweet as babies are, they are sinful from day one. So why this baby? Why Jesus? Why why do we come? Because he alone is without sin. He alone from day one was perfect, was holy, was set apart. Jesus, and I don't want to give away the end of the story, but Jesus would be broken so that you and I could be fixed. Jesus would be broken so that you and I could be made whole. So tonight, as we close, I want to give you an invitation. And it's the invitation that was given to the wise men or the magi. They saw this star and they said this, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw this star when it rose and we have come to worship. So my invitation to you tonight as we celebrate the birth of this one child who has been given on to us. It's very simple. Come and worship. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you as we think about all of the gifts under the tree, all of the excitement of tomorrow morning, that it is easy to lose sight. It is easy to forget the gift that has been given onto us, the birth of Jesus. And so give us hearts, prepare us to do just that. 
the very thing that the Magi did to simply come and worship. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to have two final songs, O Holy Night and Silent Night. During Silent Night, uh, we will be lighting candles and we'll be doing that to candlelight. Let's worship.